Welcome to You Heard It Here First, the show that helps you discover the best that Audible has to offer. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, and I'm here with more honest opinions on Audible's new releases and hidden gems. And we'll be hearing from some of you too. Each week, we'll feature some of your reviews and we'll be asking to hear what you've been listening to in our genre corner. First up is our featured customer review. This week, it comes from S. Halil. They left this five-star review of Underland by Robert McFarlane on the Audible website. Wonderful, sublime, a pleasure and an education. I was initially worried that a book that promises to be so visually evocative would be diminished by the Audible format, but that is absolutely not the case. If anything, the opposite was true. Rob McFarlane's prose is beautiful and poetic, and Roy McMillan's narration is superb. The production is excellent, with perfectly placed segments of soundscape to complement the text, not too much, or too often to make it feel like a dramatisation. The song of a bird, the chatter of insects, the splash of a thrown stone, the crackle of radiation. I'm sure I will listen to this again and again. That was S. Halil's review of Underland by Robert McFarlane. Every week we pick out a different review on Audible's website to see what you've been enjoying. Next up, it's time for our featured new release, a brand new bit of audio that I think you will love. This week, I've picked On Fire by Naomi Klein. Naomi Klein is a writer and social activist whose work focuses on the exploitation of people and the planet. On Fire is a collection of her articles and speeches on the environment for the last two decades. Plus, she includes some brand new material. I chose this book out of sheer curiosity. It's been almost impossible to be on the internet without hearing about climate change. From speeches by Greta Thunberg to Extinction Rebellion protests, it's everywhere. So I felt it was important to get a handle on what's happening to our planet and find out if I could do anything to help. I liked the start of this book a lot. It's an in-depth look at our present situation and the urgent need for change. As well as this, Naomi also talks about the current protests and the importance of holding the world leaders to account. In it, she says we need to divest and dismantle the political, economic and even the societal systems that have led us to this point. I'll be honest, at times this can be a really challenging listen. Her work is very technical and it can come across as a little bit preachy. Having said that, I appreciate her really firm stance on this matter because the alternative is pretty depressing. For me, the book really picks up in chapter 10, when Naomi explains the little ice age that occurred in the 15th century. Naomi describes how the mass genocide of the indigenous peoples of America resulted in a really drastic change in the landscape, which ultimately led to a dramatic cooling of the earth and the reduction of CO2. Essentially, killing people improved the environment. Though the book is filled with lots of great facts like this one, it's quite a heavy listen. It's just over 10 hours long, with Naomi narrating at the start of it before Rebecca Lohman takes over. I didn't love Rebecca Lohman's narration. At times she was quite flat and really unemotional about the text, which I thought was a shame because it's such an important topic. But I would say that it's a necessary listen as the climate crisis is very real. If you're already a Naomi fan, it's likely you'll have heard bits from the book before, but there's certainly no harm in checking out some of the new material included. So that's On Fire by Naomi Klein. Here's a bit I really enjoyed. I have breathed this smoke before. Not these precise airborne particles, of course, but smoke from many of the same wildfires. And the odd thing is, 
I breathed it in some 570 miles east of here, in another province entirely. I spent mid-July in Alberta helping teach a course on environmental reporting at the Banff Center for Arts and Creativity. This time, too, the forecast had looked perfect. Sunny, clear, warm. This time, too, the forecast was usurped from the first day by a smoke cast, a haze that obscured the spectacular mountains in Banff National Park and provoked air quality warnings, headaches, and a catch in the throat. More fake weather. Back in July, the winds were blowing east, which is why the Rockies were getting a face full of smoke. In Calgary, Canada's oil capital, the smoke was so thick that it obscured the city's skyline of gleaming glass towers bearing the logos of Shell, BP, Suncor, and TransCanada. And the smoke didn't stop there. It kept traveling eastward, reaching well into the center of the continent, to Saskatchewan and Manitoba and down to North Dakota and Montana. NASA released a striking picture of the 500-mile-long plume. Then, just as my family was heading to coastal British Columbia, the winds abruptly shifted and started blowing the plume westward, with the Rocky Mountains now acting like a giant tennis racket, lobbing the smoke to the Pacific. Inhaling smoke originating from the same incinerated forests for the second time in one summer Never mind that I had traveled 600 miles and crossed a provincial boundary. was an eerie experience. You can find On Fire by Naomi Klein on Audible. And now it's time for our hidden gem. And this week I've picked something a little bit different. An audio drama from Audible. Yes, that's right. It's not just audiobooks and podcasts that the great team here at Audible make. They also make brilliant audio dramas too. And this week I'm recommending Emma by Jane Austen, adapted by Anna Lee. Emma is the fourth novel by Jane Austen. It's a classic that's loved by many. But a fun fact about the book is that it was originally published anonymously, like all of her works, because she was a woman. It wasn't until after her death that she was revealed as the author of this and other books like Sense and Sensibility. It follows the story of Emma Woodhouse as she learns the consequences of her romantic meddling in the lives of her friends and family. Now, it's likely you've probably heard about Emma before, but here's why I think you should give this drama a listen. As you've heard on the show, nonfiction is usually more my thing, and I've made a point of avoiding the classics for various reasons. So I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy Emma, but I actually loved it. I was pleasantly surprised by how quickly the story sucked me in. It was giving me a real Downton Abbey vibe. It's a funny and sweet listen, and I could really settle into the sofa with some candles and a large mug of tea. The audio drama is fun to listen to, with a whole host of actors which helps it feel like you're a fly on the wall in a family drama. There are loads of sound effects from ticking clocks to the bird song, and it helps transport you away to Highbury. Plus, I loved the narration by Emma Thompson, who keeps the story moving. Her voice is really calming and I think perfectly suited for the story. One thing to keep in mind is that it is a period drama and that its main focus is marriage and social status in the world of the middle and upper class. Again, not something I thought would be for me, but I'm surprised by how much I enjoyed the story. 
I actually found myself cringing every time the character Mrs. Bates makes an appearance and she bleats on and on about how obliged she is by the kindness of her neighbours and friends. I quite enjoyed hearing Emma's mocking of her and found myself saying a few times, oh, won't you please be quiet, Mrs. Bates, and let someone else speak. The actor who does her voice captured her tone perfectly. Here's a clip to show you exactly what I'm talking about. Forgive me, I, I could not stay two minutes. I, I, I must get on to Kingston as fast as I can. Oh, do come in. They'll be so very happy to see you. No, no, no. Your, your room is full enough. I'll, uh, I'll call another day and hear your pianoforte. Well, I am so sorry. Oh, Mr Knightley, what a delightful party last night. How extremely pleasant. Did you ever see such dancing? Was it not delightful? Miss Woodhouse and Mr Frank Churchill, I never saw anything equal to it. Oh, uh, very delightful indeed. I can say nothing less, for I suppose Miss Woodhouse and Mr Frank Churchill are hearing everything that passes... Uh, I do not see why Miss Fairfax should not be mentioned, too. I think Miss Fairfax dances very well. And Mrs. Weston is the very best country dance player without exception in England. Now, if your friends have any gratitude, they will say something pretty loud about you and me in return, but I cannot stay to hear it. Oh, Mr. Knightley, one moment more. Something of consequence. So shocked. Jane and I are both so shocked about the apples. How can apples be shocking, Miss Bates? To think of your sending us all your store apples. Do not think of it, madam. You said you had a great many, and now you have not one left. We really are so shocked. You should not have done it. Indeed, you should not. Goodbye, Miss Bates. Goodbye, Mr Knightley. If you liked the sound of that, you can find Emma on Audible, along with lots of other audio dramas for you to try. And on You Heard It Here First, I'm not the only one who will be recommending you some audio goodness. Joining me every week in the studio will be two editors from Audible to tell me about the books that they've been loving. First up is Alex Curran. Hello, Alex. Hi, you're right. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Can you tell us what book you've chosen for us today and why? I have chosen Got to Get Through This or Through This by Louis Through. Nice. Yeah, I think he's got a really interesting take and stuff. And um thought, why not give it a go? I haven't read, I know he's done a book before, but I haven't read or listened to anything by him. What's this book about? Basically, it's told chronologically through every TV production he's ever worked on, being the focus, and then intervening with his own like personal life and what was going on in the background of making all of those. That must be quite difficult to read because Louis Theroux is kind of notorious for putting himself in quite ridiculous and sometimes compromising positions. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot about that and a lot of... Um, he had to go through like a lot of safety training as well because of oh. the difficult situations he's put himself in. A massive feature of the book is like the Jimmy Savile um, documentary that he did and his own personal relationship with... Jimmy Savile. I started listening to it and I was like, Louis Theroux is actually very engaging and has like kind of a nice voice. <laughs> yeah. Because he does narrate nice it himself. And so you kind of get really taken on the journey and it's very familiar. Yeah. He does everyone's accent in the book. He does. He which does do is that. like, <laughs> it's also good and bad. Like it's not quite there, but it's Louis Theroux doing it. So it's really good. And even when in like the really dark moments, he continues to do 
like the Jimmy Savile accent when he has the conversation. <laughs> um, That's not something to. Love yeah. About. So when he's talking about really serious matters, he'll still switch between their conversation and do everyone's accents. He's really gone for it. Sounds brilliant. I heard one of the American accents, and I was just like, "What is happening?" But he does a really good job of it. Actually, I was yeah. like, "Oh wow!" Because the book does open with him talking about this feeding ceremony that he's in, mm-hmm. where he's being fed strawberries and chocolates by a man with a yeah blue pendant or something. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear about all the weird situations that he would find himself in. Obviously, in his line of work. He talked a lot about like why he was drawn to those sort of weird stories and how... Why was he? Um, there's a bit where he talks about feeling more comfortable with all these bizarre and unusual humans than he does with his own colleagues at the BBC. Mm. And I find that like really interesting that there's a sense that he sort of felt a bit of an outcast and found like comfort in talking to all these other people that felt the same. Were there any standout moments from the book that you just had to stop and be like what the hell what what am I listening to the bits that I really liked were him talking about his personal life and his relationship with his first girlfriend and his wife and having children and the all the difficulties that surrounded doing his job and his marriage and his kids and he was like really really open about the struggles and everything that he did wrong and I think if you watch his documentaries and I know he had a wife and I just sort of assumed like, oh, she must be so supportive. And it must be like, yeah, go out and film all these documentaries. But really, it was a massive struggle between them in being away for so long doing mm. all these documentaries and her raising their three children. He's really open about it and really honest. And I think that was really good. To slightly lighten the mood, <laughs> he's also very funny and also is very privileged in like yes. a really weird way. How did you find him talking about his kind of early upbringing and the kind of privilege he experienced and his parents being, I guess, like reasonably wealthy and, mm-hmm. and able to send him to really good schools where like he is genuinely friends with like Adam Buxton and yeah. Nick Clegg was in his class. And mm-hmm. How did you find that? I don't think he went into that in enough detail. It was very, again, like matter of fact, like this is what happened. With a lot of autobiographies, you have the real like initial struggle of trying to make it. Mm -hmm. or trying to get your voice heard I think it starts and he's already there and he talks about moving to New York with his girlfriend and not having a lot of money and living in a tiny flat but it's still a very privileged position to have a job to be able to live in New York so it is definitely a different type of autobiography there's no background struggle and I think that's fine as long as like you're honest about it yeah did you like him after reading it did you like him more or less I think I like him more but I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Just because he was very honest about his, he struggled to sympathise with his own wife when she was struggling back at home. And while I commend being like really honest about that, and maybe he's different now reflecting on it, he still went through this period where he was very like, not cold for her, but just not supportive and understanding of what she was going through. That would be quite conflicting. Yeah, it's weird because he is a strange character and he's like, he's very unique and he's got a very like charming awkwardness yeah so I think like you do quite warm to him which is why his documentaries work so well but yeah there's I think with everyone there's the flaws in their character yeah I think listening to it it's definitely something I'm I want to finish because I'm really intrigued by him mm-hmm. and I think charming awkwardness kind of sums that up quite well is that he's kind of got like an underdogness about him but he's also incredibly privileged and yeah. like is able to kind of navigate in spaces that 
typically would be inaccessible to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I'm just intrigued as to how he probably reconciles it if he does it all, but it doesn't sound like that massively gets answered in this book. Yeah, probably not. There's not too much of why he is the way he is. I think he talks about he started his career um, doing documentaries for an American TV service and that the reason he's been in front of the camera is because he was like sort of this awkward British man and that's why they found it interesting. So although it doesn't get explored, it definitely works for his benefit and he understands why he's like so liked, especially by Americans. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Thanks. <laughs> Gotta Get Through This by Louis Theroux was Alex's pick of the week. When Louis first started writing the book, he planned to just dip back into some of his greatest hits. But as he wrote it, he realised he needed to give much more of himself, which is how we've ended up with the autobiography today. You can find it on the Audible website or on the app. Next, we've brought back Audible editor Robin Morgan-Bentley, who's hoping to impress you with his pick this week. Hi, Robin. Great to have you back. Hi, Emil. So tell me, what have you got for us this week? So I wanted to recommend something a bit different um, called, and I'm going to get the name right, Iphigenia in Splot. Iphigenia. I spent ages making sure I got the name of that. <laughs> right. Uh, it's uh, quite a, a strange title, so, but it's a, a brilliant, brilliant uh, piece of audio. So essentially, it is a monologue. It was a one-woman show mm-hmm. on the stage that has now been turned into this audio product. So Sophie Melville, who is the actress who brought this character to life on stage in various parts of the UK over the years, Mm -hmm. came into the studio to capture it behind a mic and now uh, it's available on Audible for everyone to listen to. Why did you choose this play? Well, the first thing I liked about it was its length. So it's, (laughs) it's, I think it's about an hour and a half long. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And there's something really nice about being able to pick something that I know I'm going to listen to in one session. Obviously, when you listen to a full length audio book, often it will be nine hours or 11 hours or 14 hours, and you have to kind of commit to something over a few days or over a few weeks. Um, I had a window of time and I thought, you know, I'm just going to listen to this now. And to be able to start it and finish it in one sitting was really nice. That does sound quite nice, actually. Yeah. It's quite pleasing when that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what exactly happens in Iphigenia and Splot? So it's about uh, one woman called Effie who lives in this uh, small town in Wales called Splot, hence the Splot in the title. And it's about her experiences, I guess. And I think it's fair to say that she's having a bit of a, a tough time. She is binge drinking a lot. Uh, she's kind of going from one binge to the next. Uh, she's going out. I suppose it doesn't seem like she has that much direction mm-hmm. in terms of career or her personal life. And uh, She's very angry. Um, and so one of the things that I loved about it was you're immediately taken into this woman's world because she's so aggressive at the start. It's quite mm-hmm. shocking and um, immediately sort of pulls you in. That is quite interesting. We listened to it a little bit before recording and there was like a palpable anger in yeah, her voice. Exactly. But her, I guess the actress playing Effie her voice is very distinct as well so that's also something that you're kind of adjusting to so you're dealing with the emotion that she's bringing to the character but also that I guess a very distinct accent were you able to kind of understand everything that was happening right from the start do you think? Yeah definitely you, you kind of have to tune your ear in because it's a very uh, specific Welsh accent maybe not the standard Welsh accent that people might be used to from TV and things like that mm-hmm. and then also there's something about the language and the way that Sophie performs it that is quite musical about the rhythm of the words and so you do have to kind of tune your ear a bit to slightly different sounds and slightly different use of language but I think you get that very very quickly. 
Did you ever get bored listening to just one person speak for 90 minutes? So it's funny you say that because I have only recently got into monologues. I've always been big into theatre and multicast performances on audio, radio plays, that kind of thing. But previously, the idea of just a one-woman show or a one-man show mm-hmm. has put me off. I think uh, if the writing is as strong as it is in, in this play and the performance is as vivid as Sophie's is, then that kind of worry goes away. I had a similar experience with the Carrie Mulligan play, um, which was, again, I, I suppose quite similar in some ways to Iphigenarian's plot. It was about one woman's angst, essentially. Yeah. But it was performed with such passion that you kind of, you don't need to worry about the fact that it's just one person's voice. Yeah, fair enough. Speaking of the strength of the writing, do you know much about the writer Gary Owen? I didn't know a huge amount about Gary's work other than that he was a very well-celebrated playwright in Wales um, and he's had a lot of critical uh, acclaim and success and attention over the last few years. I actually got the chance to interview Gary, the playwright, and Sophie, the performer, Mm -hmm. after we finished recording and we recorded those interviews and you can listen to them at the end of the play. I don't want to give anything away because a lot of what's talked about in the interview is a spoiler for what happens in the play itself. But um, I think it gives a nice little insight into where the ideas came from and his inspiration for writing. What did you not like so much about this play? One kind of, I guess, warning I would have for anyone that's thinking of downloading it is it is quite explicit. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of swearing in it. There's sex. There's substance abuse. These are issues that may trigger certain things for some listeners. So... Mm -hmm. I didn't find it too difficult, but I do want to kind of put the disclaimer out there that, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's not it's not easy listening. What about things that you did love? Was there a moment at all that you were just like, oh, my God, what just happened? I need to stop and yeah. just take that in. So there's a really pivotal moment in the play, I think probably about 15 minutes in. And so I think it's early enough that it's not a spoiler, where Effie, who has been quite negative up to this point and quite directionless, as I said, goes to a club and meets a man mm-hmm. um, and it's a really significant moment in her life and in the story of the play and the way that she describes that moment uh, where she first sets eyes on this guy on the other side of the club I think is quite a familiar and funny moment I mean maybe a lot of people listening I can certainly remember you know going clubbing and spotting someone on the other side of the dance floor or whatever mm-hmm. and I think there's something really funny um, and familiar but also beautifully sort of worded about that particular moment given that it's only 90 minutes is it really worth an audible credit yeah it's short and you can get something longer on audible and and I I do listen to longer things as well but when a performance is so special it's something that you can come back to there's something really special about like the fact that this was a live performance that was on in the theatre for a while and now has gone away Mm -hmm. but it's been captured for a moment in a studio yeah you know that's going to live on the internet now and the internet lives forever or whatever so this play this particular performance has now been captured on, on audio for me to listen to again and again or for other people to listen to in 5, 10, 15 years time I think that's really special Thanks Robin You can find Iphigenia and Splot on the Audible website Tell us what you've listened to by leaving us a review on your favourite podcast player Now back to the show And now it's time to hear from some of your favourite authors thanks to Audible Sessions Audible Sessions is another podcast from the Audible team with exclusive interviews from authors featured on the Audible website This week it's a clip from Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse who are the comedy partnership behind the audiobook and TV show Gone Fishing. So in in the book directly related to you, Bob, you know, you write about how Paul was getting in touch, getting you out the house after you had your 
uh, operation. Yeah. So was that something that bonded you together, both finding out you had heart disease and going through the different complications with that or diet or whatever it is in re- mortality related oh, I to think that? It's a, I think it takes a friendship to, you know, adds another element to mm. a friendship that, you know, you've got that in common. Because there's co- little conversations me and Paul might have that we've probably forgotten but are quite important to us. We're just asking about hearts or about how do you, you know, does it hurt in the morning or just little silly conversations. And it's nice to have someone on board because you don't, I don't talk to anyone about it really. You but No, it's, um, I was told about it initially again by Charlie. I think it was, he said that you might have to have stents. Yeah. And so I got in touch having had stents, but then Bob went and trumped me. You know, he went one better. Yeah. And my God, he didn't let up about it. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, it's a really odd one because I knew nothing of a lot of Paul's illnesses. He's a very sick man. I knew nothing. Paul doesn't talk about them. And yeah, because I'm a psychopath for asking <laughs> how he is. But to be honest, <laughs> but to be honest, I don't talk about them either. But we, this last no. year or two years, we've become, we do nothing but witter on. <laughs> I know. It's a, it's a strange one. Yeah. Because we, ha- we haven't, for whatever it is, 57 years. No. We're, like most blokes, we've never spoken about our no. health at all. Yeah. Mm. And then suddenly we. St- I would get on my nerves if I was watching me on telly. Oh, but, there we go. Look at the two of them. How's your heart? But when we, <laughs> I know. We do a bit. We have to rein it in. But, mm. you know, it's the truth. That is the truth. That's uh, how the programme came about, and it came out of our real life. And, you know, we did go fishing because it's something that we planned to do and never got round to for, mm. like, 15, 20 years, more than that almost, didn't it? So, but the first time you helped me buy a rod... Mm. And give me and some we left it there, didn't we? But we that thought, was that twenty years I've, ago. Yeah, no, <laughs> then we never took it off. Yeah, so it took. It did take the life-threatening stuff to get us uh, going. Get, get yeah, us off get our butts. Yeah. Ah, do you know what? I actually didn't know that much about Bob and Paul, but I was really moved by their friendship from that whole interview. They're so funny, like just constantly jiving and riffing off each other. I don't even know how Holly managed to get questions in, to be honest, because they just would not stop. But it's really, really nice. And I really loved this clip because it's so rare to hear men be vulnerable with each other and being good friends with each other and kind of checking in on their health because it's something that I don't think we know a lot of men to talk about. But the whole interview is actually just absolutely hilarious. It's definitely worth listening to. It's full of angling tips for the angling fans out there. But they have a real natural chemistry that immediately pulled me in and I think I might just check out Gone Fishing even though I have no interest in fishing but I like them and I think that's worth it. If you want to find out more about Bob and Paul's friendship you can find the full interview on the Audible website. You'll also find their audiobook Gone Fishing which talks about everything from the joy of angling to what their favourite pocket meats are. Hmm. <laughs> And now it's time to take a trip to our genre corner. You've heard lots of great recommendations from us, but now it's time to hear what you've got to say. Each week, we ask you to send in a voice note telling us about your favourite audiobook, podcast or audio drama available on Audible. From cosy crime to self-help, we want to know what it is you can't get enough of. This week, we've chosen a review of a memoir and our recommendation comes from Heather. Here's what she had to say. Hi, Emriel. I am recommending Noel Fitzpatrick, Listening to the Animals. It is a biography, autobiography, and I like it because he has 
put so much of his vulnerability into it and you can see that even though he seems like such an amazingly successful person he still has insecurities and he's still hard on himself and that's what's helped him to succeed in some ways which I found really inspiring and reassuring. Thanks Heather, that sounds like a great listen. Noel has a show on Channel 4 called The Super Vet, and I'd quite like to find out what happens behind the scenes. If you do too, you can check out Heather's recommendation of listening to the animals Becoming the Super Vet by Noel Fitzpatrick on Audible. Remember, this is your opportunity to share your favourite Audible listen on You Heard It Here first. Send us a clip telling us why you love it and you might get featured here. Record a voice note on your phone and email it over to us on yhihf at audible.co.uk. That's the first letters of You Heard It Here First. But remember, keep your review spoiler free. And that's all for this week's You Heard It Here First. Don't forget to send us your book reviews for Genre Corner and join us next time to hear about some more great audio from Audible. You've been listening to You Heard It Here First, an Audible original produced by Content Is Queen, presented by me, Imriel Morgan, and featuring Alex Curran and Robin Morgan-Bentley. It was produced by Ellie Clifford. Original music was by Seth Bradford. For Audible, the executive producer was Holly Newson. The production executive was Hayley Nathan and the commissioning editor was Kent DePinto. Pinto.